0: Uh, Masters. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty abysmal there. Uh, it's Friday. Sunday's coming. And um, Jesus is Lord. And um, yeah, that's embarrassing when you're going to see him and that's all you did. Okay. Um, I will tell you this, um, God doesn't have to shout very loud to uh, get me to come back uh, to this place. I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, coming and hanging at the uh, Master's uh, University, and uh, it's a, a huge privilege. I have so much respect for your president. I have uh, enjoyed uh, just a, a growing friendship with Harry uh, here, your, your campus pastor, and uh, love, 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 uh, your your faculty, your professors, uh, many of them uh, serve at our church, and we uh, are so thankful that a number of you actually uh, serve with us, and uh, so Master's uh, College is, or Master's University is a place that, um, like I said, doesn't take a lot for the Lord to get me back here, and and, and frankly, uh, you know, coming to a college campus, uh, you know, brings back just tremendous memories of, of mine. Uh, college, college was the, the best eight years of my life, and... Um, uh, it is always fun to, to get back uh, to what the Lord did over those eight years. Um, Harry has asked me uh, to address an uh, issue regarding kind of your theme that you're, 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 you've been on this year of, um, of this being a Christ-like campus. And um, he's been talking, he talked with me about this whole uh, issue of head, heart, hands, of, of Christ being formed in us, uh, Christ being formed in our, our head, our heart, and our hands, and so this morning I get to bring uh, a message that I'm pretty fired up about, to be honest with you, but I get fired up about God's Word no matter what. Um, I'm pretty excited about this passage and this message because it has to do with our hearts. Um, it has to do mostly with our hands, though. It's about what God ignites in our hearts and then uh, flows out of, into our hands of how we're going to live the Christian life. And so um, I don't know about you, but time is short. Uh, yesterday I celebrated my uh, 50th birthday, and uh, yeah, that's just a pity applause there, I know, I know, and uh, I, I want to remind you it's not too late to shop, you can still do that this afternoon, okay? Let's do this, we're going um, to be in the book of Exodus this morning, uh, we're going to find ourselves in Exodus 18, and so if you love Jesus, turn with me to Exodus 18, and as you turn there, let me let me pray for us this morning. Father, as we, we open up your Word this morning, um, we 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 are excited about this because um, your Word is it's it's living, it's active. Um, it has the ability to take what uh, reaches our ears. And it has the ability to to hone into our very hearts and to uh, get into our motives. Uh, That's that's tremendous power. And Father, what we're going to study here briefly this morning is uh, true today. It was true 5,000 years ago. It'll be true in 10,000 years from now. And so, Father, do what your Spirit does in our life, sanctify us. Sanctify us with truth. Sanctify us with your word this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Ludwig von Beethoven is a world-renowned German composer. In his short 56 years of life, he became a world-renowned composer. What's interesting about uh, Beethoven's life and his works is that most of his work he never actually heard. Many people don't realize is that he went deaf at a very early age. And so most of his composings of his uh, beautiful symphonies, he never actually heard. In fact, uh, Beethoven did much of his composing at his own piano and the way he would work is that he would play the piano and he would feel the vibrations of the notes through his fingers. But as that thickness grew on the auditory nerve of his ear, his ability to hear became less and less. And many times he would spend hours trying to compose something he could not hear, but he could only feel. The story is told that one of his workmen passed his study one morning where he had been all morning working on one of his great symphonies and you could tell he was frustrated this morning because he was working so hard, so tirelessly to compose this song but he could not, he could not hear it. And the person writes about this moment and he tells the story that as he passed his study he peeked in and he saw Beethoven pounding the piano and he had placed his his head upon the, the top part of the piano to feel the vibrations into his own head trying to compose. And it was somewhat futile because he could not hear it. And finally, out of frustration, he leans back and he throws up his hands. And he says to himself, when he's thinking nobody is there, he says, I will take life by the throat. And he continued to compose. I love that tenacity. I love that story of a man who against all obstacles says, I will take life by the throat. I, um, I celebrated my 50th birthday yesterday. Did I tell you that? I, um, I realized that time, time is not getting longer for me. It's getting shorter for me. And I, I have a distinct desire to not arrive at death safely. I I literally want to kick a dent in eternity. I want to take life by the throat for Jesus Christ. I don't want to just leave a a carbon footprint and suck oxygen for 70, 80 years. I want to make a difference for the kingdom of Christ. And I love this story of a man who not for the gospel's sake, but for the passion of his heart, says, I will take life by the throat. But too often... Too often, life takes us by the throat. And I don't know if you know this, but we have a real enemy. Uh, We don't believe Ephesians 6, where Paul writes, We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities thereof and forces of darkness. That's a real verse. And, And Satan has a strategy for me. Satan has a strategy for each of us in this room. And Satan has a strategy for your time at TMU. And I believe this, that if Satan can't take you out, he will wear you out. And you may have distinct passion at the beginning of this year to take this year by the throat and to kick a dent in eternity for the cause of the gospel and for the cause of the kingdom and for the sake of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, there is an adversary that wants to take you out. And so this morning, I want us to just let our hearts drift into uh, Exodus chapter 18, where we've been as a church for a number of weeks. And we've been studying this story, this amazing story, this amazing narrative about Moses. About Moses being called by God when he's 80 years old to to grab 1.5, 2 million of the Hebrews and take them out of Egypt. And the reason is, is that God is going to fulfill his promise to Abraham. And Moses is given this, this incredible opportunity at the age of 80 when, when most people would grab a motor home and drive down to Florida. He finds himself on top of Mount Sinai. And Moses, Moses wants, wants to honor the Lord. I think Moses wants to kick a dent in eternity. I think Moses wants to be faithful to what the, the Father has called him to do. And so we find ourselves in Exodus 18 shortly after the nation of Israel has been released from Egypt, after Pharaoh relented and he lets them out and the great chase is on, they cross the Red Sea, they, they have uh, fought the Amalekites and Joshua has won and, and there is, there's Moses with his, with his staff and his arm up and they're winning as long as his arm is up and they, they clean up over with the Amalekites. And now, now Moses... Moses is now going to lead the people farther into the wilderness and he, he's going to begin a journey that he doesn't realize is going to be a 40-year journey with, with some very grumpy, stiff-necked people. And he has to, uh, he has to honor the Lord. He has, to, he has to do his calling. He has to be faithful to what God is asking him to do. And he has to do it under uh, very unique circumstances. And so we, we find ourselves in Exodus 18, right after that first battle, in the wilderness, after being released from Egypt, and we find the fact that Jethro, his father-in-law, his father-in-law he comes to him and brings, brings his daughter, or Moses' wife, and her name is Zipporah. That's a smoking hot name. And so here comes Jethro, and there comes Zipporah, and she's got the the kids along, and they're going to come meet, they're going to come meet Moses here in Exodus 18. And Moses, uh, frankly, is one of, arguably speaking, is one of the world's greatest leaders, both those that are inclined to Christianity and those that are not would say Moses is, is an amazing leader. And we're going to see why he's an amazing leader. We're going to see why he actually kicks a dent in eternity, and if you would. Let's pick up the story in verse 13. After Jethro arrives with the wives, the poor, and the kids, verse 13 starts this way. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' his father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Now stop there for a moment. Jethro comes onto the scene. He, he's, watching, he's watching Moses do his daily deal. And he's looking at this and he says, Houston, we have a problem here. This is, this is not a good situation. Moses, you're going to be in grave trouble. You may, you may be feeling like a, a kind of the, the king of the hill right now, but over time, over time, this is going to kick your teeth in. You're not going to finish the race. You're going to get worn out. And remember, if Satan can't take you out, he will wear you out. And so here we are with a bad situation, and it's because Jethro, is just, he's just observing. He just, verse 14, notice this, he just saw some things. He's just kind of taking it all in. And Verse 15, and Moses said to the father-in-law, I'll tell you why I do this. It's because the people come to me, and they inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I, I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' his father-in-law said to him, what, you, what you're doing is not good. Wait, Moses, Moses, stop here for a moment. What, 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 you're doing is, what you're doing is not good. And you can almost, almost kind of hear it in his voice coming from this page. You know, Moses is having a, a Scooby-Doo moment. Huh? What, what, what do you mean it's not good? I'm, I'm judging the people. I'm, I'm deciding what, what, what is right and what's wrong. I'm trying to tell them what the Lord wants. How could this be not good. Verse 18, he says, you and the people, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you, and you are not able to do it alone. This morning, I want to say to some of you in this room, you may have all of the aspirations of, I want to take life by the throat. I want to kick a dent in eternity. I want to make a a difference for the cause of the kingdom. But I will remind you this morning, just as Jethro said to Moses, you you can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. And if you you don't get on this, Moses, if if you don't understand some things, that you have a real enemy out there that wants to take you out this year and you don't pace yourself, and you don't look at the situation from a big-picture perspective, you're not going to finish the race. So, so Jethro basically says, says to Moses, you've you got to be aware of some things. He tells Moses, you're, you're burning the candle at both ends. You're trying to, you're trying to do everything, and you're eventually going to end up doing Nothing. You see, Moses had bought into the lie that I, that I had bought into, maybe some of you have bought into, and that is, I would rather, I would rather burn out for Jesus than to rust out for Jesus. But you know what I, I realized a number of years ago, neither are helpful to the master. Burned out people, rusted out people. Notice verse 13 there, he says, you're keeping, verse 13, you're keeping unreasonable hours. You're working from morning till evening. You're burning the candle at both ends. He he says, verse 18, he says, you have an unreasonable load. You'll certainly wear yourself out. This this work is too heavy for you. What's he saying to Moses? You have to understand something. Your workload has outpaced your capacity. This is not an ability issue, Moses. This is a capacity issue. And and, and he says, you're going to find yourself in big trouble. And see, I don't know about you, but I I don't want to just pass time. Time is my life. Life is time. And if I pass time, I'm just just wasting my life. And so I want to keep a pace. I want to keep a pace so that I can go the long haul, so that I, I can be like Moses at age 80 and says, Lord, what's my next assignment? I, I want to I understand uh, how to not just obey Christ, but I want a long obedience. I don't want to live in that tension of, well, when this happens, then I'll start doing this. Hey, wh- wh- when, I, when I get married, then I'll settle down. When I graduate from TMU, then I'll do this. It's the when-then thinking. The reality is that then may never come. We only can live in one place. We can only live in the present. We can't live in the past. It's over. Some of you are there. And you can't live in the future because it hasn't happened yet, and so you can only live in one place. And I want a I I long obedience. I don't want to live with a when-then mentality. So Jethro, Jethro throws Moses some counsel here. Jethro says to Moses, I got some, I got some counsel for you. Notice verse 23 with me. Notice what he says. He says to Moses, If if you do this. Everybody say if. It's, a, it's an interactive sermon. You can talk. When appropriate. He says to Moses, You've got to make a decision here. And, and it's really your choice. And I say to all of you here this morning, You have a choice in this, in this decision also. This is an if statement. You can can embrace the wisdom that Jethro is going to give to Moses, just as Moses can embrace it. And he says, "If, if you want this, you can choose this. Notice what he says, verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. If you do this, God will direct you. By show of hands this morning, who wants God to direct them? Holy Toledo, why do you have your hands down, some of you? You're at TMU, get your hand up. No, we don't want to be misdirected by God. We want God to direct us. So he says, if you do this, God will direct you. Notice the second part. And you'll be able to endure. You're going to go the long haul, Moses. And we know Moses at 80 has another 40 years on him, so he's got to get to a buck 20, so he's got to go the long haul. And then thirdly, and he says this, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. Meaning those around you, they're going to enjoy the journey a whole, whole bunch more if you'll do this. So when I read this passage, I, you know, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night, and I'm looking, and I'm hanging on verse 23, and I'm trying to figure out what this is. Because if, 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 if Jethro is saying, if you do this, God's going to direct you, you're going to be able to go the distance, and you're going to be able to have people follow you in peace and actually will like you at the end. I want to know exactly, I want to know exactly what this is. And so this morning, I want to get on this as quick as possible. I want to give you you three things right from the text, right from this isn't my wisdom, this is Jethro's wisdom, this isn't Jethro's wisdom, this is God's wisdom. And and let me just say this to you this morning is we we are drowning, we are drowning in knowledge and what we need is wisdom. And so these three things, everybody say three. Uh, three things, I want you to write these down. I want you to, I want you to write them on the palm of your, your neighbor's hand uh, somewhere. Uh, You've got to get these down onto on the paper. Uh, the, the, these are three things that represent this of verse 23. Three things, if you want to finish this year, and you want to finish it well. You want to kick a dent in eternity. You don't want to just waste time. You actually want to, you, you want to kick a dent in eternity. I want to take as many people to heaven with me. These are three things that I've got to get on. There are three words. Uh, number one, you've got, you got to understand your calling. Your calling. Jethro says to Moses, you've got to understand something, Moses. You've got to understand your calling. Look at verses 19 and 20 with me. Here's what he says, first thing out of the gate, he says, now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God be with you. You, watch, here we go, you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. What he says there to Moses is basically this is you, you, have to, you have to understand your calling. And your calling, Moses, is to be a prophet for God. You can't solve every land dispute. You can't solve every crisis or every issue between a father and son or a, f- a husband and wife. What you have to do is you have to be this, this prophet that's going to represent the people to God and God to the people. You can't get, you can't get mired in all this other stuff. That is your one thing. That is your calling. See, we, we live in America here, and we're all, we're all going to school in Awesometown where everything is just picture perfect, and the reality is everybody's chasing. A, I want to get hired. I want to get the right job, and I'm just looking for an employer to hire me. Let me just tell you something. As a Christ follower, the importance is not the hire. The importance is the calling. And for Moses, he, say, he says, Moses, you've got to figure out this is your one thing. This is the thing that God has called you to do. Now, Jethro is a walking pool of wisdom. And as I said this morning, man, knowledge is everywhere. We're one click away from any any minute, bizarre aspect of knowledge. You You just hit Google and you can get the knowledge. And everybody's trying to chase the degree, and everybody's trying to to chase that that ability of information, more information, more information. But nobody, nobody's teaching you how to use it. And wisdom is in in drought today. We, We live in a culture that has idolized knowledge and abandoned wisdom. In fact, our knowledge has outpaced our wisdom. And Jethro shows up and he gives him not just knowledge, but he gives him wisdom. This is how I want you to live. This is something you should seriously consider doing. Not just thinking, but doing here. And what does he tell him? You need to know your your calling. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to the Lord that Moses could take instruction, that Moses could be schooled, if you will. There he is, 80, a little bit of life under him. Been there, done that. Been there, seen that. What is Jethro, father-in-law, father-in-law, I got father-in-law jokes. What are you, I'm not gonna listen to my father-in-law. But that's not Moses here. Moses, Moses could take instruction. Look at verse 24. So Moses, so Moses, what's that word? Lift up your voice. What's that word? listened. He listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. As a side note, this is just free this morning. Here's a question for you. Are you teachable? There's only one type of person that the Lord can't use, and that is an unteachable person. Here is Moses, probably one of the world's greatest leaders in a teachable moment. And he listens to his father-in-law and he listens to the wisdom of Jethro. And the wisdom of Jethro is simply this. Be a prophet. You shall represent the people and you shall represent God and you shall warn the people. That's what you do. That's the one thing you do. That's what God has placed you on the planet, Moses, to do. Such a time as this, like Esther. Such a time as this, Moses, for you to do this one thing. Some of you in this room, you're, you're chasing a lot of things and you've got to figure out your one thing. Some of you are chasing everything and you'll end up doing nothing. Why? Because you gotta gotta figure out what has God placed you on the planet to do? What is the calling that God has on your life? You may be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, but understand this, you have a calling from God Almighty. And you you gotta figure out what it is. Well, I can do a lot of things. That's great. You can do a lot of things, but what's the one thing that God has asked you to do? We live in such a day that you can YouTube just about anything. You can figure out how to make a nuclear bomb on YouTube these days. You can, you can figure out anything. I know you can do a lot of things, but what's the one thing that God wants you to do? Sometimes, loved ones, I'll tell you this, ability can be your greatest hindrance to giftedness. And Moses is being reminded here, man, you've got to do one thing. You've got to figure out your calling. You, you, have to be, you have to be on what God has placed you to do. He's telling Moses, here's the deal. I know you have, you have a job to do, but you have a calling to fulfill. It was Mark Twain who said there's two important days in every person's life. He said there's two important days in every person's life. The first one is the day, the day you were born. And the second day is when you learned, out, learned why. Why you were born. Moses, Moses is learning his calling. Number two, write this down, character, character. Not only, not only does, does Moses get challenged to, to figure out his calling, he's now being told you've got to chase character. Look at verse twenty-one with me. Notice what he says here. He says, "Moreover, moreover, look for able men from all the people." Now, he doesn't. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, "Hey, find some people, find some men that are able to do these things, and, and then get them to start doing them." He goes on. He says, "Look for able men, able men from all the people around you. You got you got a few million people to choose from. So find some able men." But understand this, find men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and they hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and tens. So in other words, Moses, I want you to delegate some work here, but I don't want you to delegate just to able men. I want you to delegate to men of character. You see, he says, you've got to look around for this. The character isn't found uh, uh, easily. You don't just stumble over it. You have to seek it out. You have, to, you have to just not take anybody that just walks across your path. You've got to find some men of great character. Uh, at first, he reminds him you've got a calling to do, and then he says, you know what? You've got to be all about character. Character is, is king, he says. Notice the three the characteristics. Number one, fear God. Uh, there they, are to be men and women who have integrity with God. Number two, they are to be trustworthy, to have integrity with people. And number three, make sure that they hate a bribe. They have integrity within themselves. Integrity is simply, uh, <laughs> simply saying, I, I mean what I say and I do what I promise. Some of us in this room want to leave a legacy. You know what your legacy is? Your integrity. And so he tells Moses, what you got to do is figure out not just your calling, but you got to find men of great character. Why? Because character is king. You've you got to find men who fear God, who have integrity with God, who understand. Man, when, when, when God says jump, I, I say how high. They have to be trustworthy. It was uh, Theodore Roosevelt, when he would, ever, when he would pick his uh, men to be on his cabinet within his White House, Teddy Roosevelt would take out a candidate to his ranch. And they would go to the farthest edge of his ranch, right at the fence that separated Teddy's ranch from his neighbor's. And he would say to the candidate, he'd say, See, that's my neighbor's, that's, that's, that's my neighbor's cattle over there. Oh, wow, that, those look like amazing cows over there. Oh, they are. He, he takes good care of his cattle. There. <laughs> Let me tell you, those are choice cattle. We get, you get a ton of money for those. And Teddy would say to him, you know what, if you would, my neighbor doesn't know this, but every once in a while I, I, I poach one or two of the, the, the cattle and just bring it back to my ranch. He, he has so many, he doesn't, even, he doesn't even know. So here's the deal, I'm going to head back to the ranch. If you would, would you just grab one and just bring it back with you to the ranch? Teddy would ride off back to his ranch. He'd sit there and wait, he'd wait, he'd wait, and sure enough, here comes, here comes the candidate on his horse. And he was looking to see, did he have the cattle? Or did he come back empty-handed? If he came back with the cattle, the guy would say to him, here it is. I did what you said. Can I be your secretary? And he'd say, absolutely not. Well, why? Well, why, Mr. Roosevelt? And he would look at him and simply say this, if you will steal for me, you will steal from me. Now get out of here. You see, Character is king. Character is king. And the integrity of of a person's life is their legacy. And the reality is this, you can spend a lifetime building the brand of integrity and you can destroy it in a few minutes. And Jethro says to Moses, if you want to go the distance, you want to go the long haul, then here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to put character at the top. You're going to have to find men and women with great integrity. You're going to have to find men and women who hate a bribe. You see, what what you do in private is of tremendous consequence. Because what you do in private is who you are. And let me tell you again, if we believe Ephesians 6, we have an enemy. He's going to take you out. And one of the ways he takes you out is is to get you to compromise your integrity. And you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, Man, I hope by the end of today I really just blow my life up. No, I I wake up and we say, No, I want to be a I want to be a man. I want to be a woman of great integrity. I want character. I want my legacy to be when. People speak of me as that man, he meant what he said and he does what he promises. That that, that There's a congruency in my life that what I say and what I do match. Our world is looking for this, isn't it? What's the number one complaint about the church? It's It's full of hypocrites. Remember the answer to that one is come join us, there's room for one more. But the reality is there's an incongruency by what we say and what we do. And if we want to go the long haul, we want to leave an impact, we want to leave a legacy, That men, we've got to be men and women of great character. We've got to be, got to be the, the men and women that even in the private moments, we know those are public moments before God. We, we've got to be people like Bobby Jones. You may not know who Bobby Jones is, but Bobby Jones was the first to win four majors in one year. On the PGA Tour, he won 13 majors before his retirement at the age of 28. And in 1925 U.S. Open, Bobby Jones was on the hunt to win it. His ball hit the rough. Bobby grabbed a club and walked out to the rough by himself. Not a not there was there was no caddy. There was no judges. There were no people, there were no cameras, there was no press. He walks out there to find his ball, and trying to look for it, he accidentally touches his ball. Finishes out the hole, he walks over to his caddy, and he tells him, give me a one-stroke penalty. His caddy says, why, Bobby? But He says, because I touched the ball. The caddy says, I didn't see it. He says, give me a one-stroke penalty. The caddy was so upset with him because he was in the hunt for the win that he grabs the officials and he asks the officials, did you see Bobby Jones touch that golf ball? They said, no, we didn't see it. He just hit it up. He doesn't have to take a penalty. Bobby Jones says, give me a penalty. In 1925 U.S. Open, Bobby Jones lost the tournament by one stroke. The press went crazy. They began to compliment him. They began to say, man, you're bigger than life. How did you, why would you do this? That's that's amazing. Bobby Jones said these words. He says, you might as well compliment me for not breaking into banks. For there is only one way to play this game, and that is with integrity. There's only one way to do 2017, 2018, and that was with integrity. Integrity. Before we leave this point, we go to the third and final one. Let me just say this. There's a a high high likelihood that in the next five to ten years, you're going to find your mate. And what you're looking for is a man or a woman of tremendous character. Character is what you look for. Jethro says, Moses, when you pick people, pick them based on character if you're here if you're here this morning and and, man you are you are single and you are ready to mingle then let me just tell you what you're looking for you're looking you're looking for you're looking for a, a man or a woman of tremendous character the reality is some of you in this room right here right now are dating or hanging out with somebody with no character and I'm just telling you, you need to drop them like a used Kleenex and do it now. No, I mean do it now. Get your phone out right now, and you, hash, and you send them a text, and it's hashtag, it is over. Why? Why do I say that? I say that for one reason, loved ones. Is I me mean, tell you, you know what goes the distance in life? Remember, Jethro says, this is what's going to endure. Jethro says, this is how you're going to go the long haul, is you find a man or a woman of high character, that what they are in, in private is who they are in public, and who they are in public is what they are in private. That's the, that's the man, that's the woman you're looking for. Ladies, you find, you find a guy who has, has nothing to do with his looks. Yeah, he should, be the, he should be hot, but understand this. His hotness starts with his character. And just as a side note, guys, you know what ladies find extremely hot? Seriously, I took a survey of the whole college here this afternoon. You know what they find extremely hot? It's called a job. So some of you guys out there, there's your mark. Guys, let me tell you, you find, let me flip it around. Guys, you find a woman of great character. Don't let the world tell you to what to look for. You, you listen to the wisdom of Scripture. And when, when Moses is picking people to lead the people of God, he's to look for one thing, and that is people of great character. When you're picking a mate, when men, when you're looking for a woman to spend the rest of your life with, you're looking for a lady of great character. And when you find her, you grab her, and you marry her, and you start making disciples. Number three, number three. This will, um, this will be the last time I ever speak at chapel. <laughs> I just want to say I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Wish you all the best. Number three, we'll finish with this. Men and women, figure out your calling, the one thing that God has placed you here for. Chase character. And number three, Cut some things out of your life. You're not going to finish this year if you end up doing everything. You've got to learn to prioritize. A mentor of mine said many years ago, Todd, you need to learn to say no to something every day. Every day you need to say no to something. Look at verse 22, the wisdom of Scripture here. He says this, Jethro to Moses, and let them judge these men of character let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. He says, he says it's real simple, Moses. The way you're going to do this is you're going to have to cut some things out of your life. You can't do everything. My fear for you, my fear for you this morning is simply this. It's not whether you guys are going to be successful in life. <laughs> my fear is that you'll be successful at the wrong things. And we have to learn to say, you know what, Lord? This, this, is, this is what you placed me on the planet to do. This is what I can do. I want to chase character. And this is what I want to give my life to. I can't do everything. Every task is not equally important because if everything is equally important, then nothing is important discernment discernment of a priority, of learning to say no to some things is of tremendous value in these college years. If you say yes to everything, I promise you this, you will look back with some regrets. You say no to most things, you'll look back and say, those were formative years in my life. I want to show you that Jesus lived this way. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter one, turn as quick as you can. Turn faster. <laughs> Mark chapter one. Jesus, Jesus is living this wisdom out in his life. He just does it naturally. We have to think about it. In Mark chapter one, his ministry is already going ninety miles an hour with Gus up to a buck forty. He's already the the hottest thing in Israel. Verse 35, the gospel writer writes this, and rising very early in the morning, why? Because he had things to do. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Stop there for a moment. Isn't that amazing? He's tired. He's got a long day. He's got a a bazillion things to do, and the first thing he does is he prays. Do you know how guilty I feel right now? I got a bazillion things to do, pressure. Flip on Netflix. Flip on the TV. Not Jesus. Jesus says, you know what? I got to pray. Verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Well, of course they are. Everyone is looking for you. And he he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Did Did you see the wisdom nugget there? Here, here, here he is, he's out praying, and, 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 and you got Simon running over. He says, hey, where, where are you? Everybody's looking for you. We got, a, we got a big gig going. This is awesome. I mean, we're going to sell books. I think we got T-shirts. Well, this is a big deal we got going. And he says, no, we're leaving. You can't leave. We got more. You got, you got to heal some more people. There's some sick kids. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I get that, but that's not why I came. I got to get on my one thing. I've come to to preach the kingdom of God is at hand. That's my one thing. But you don't understand, Jesus. There's a lot of things to do, and there's a whole family with a kid who's had cerebral palsy since he's been born, and they're just praying. They They, They tried to get in line yesterday, but they couldn't get in line. And man, they really want their kid healed. I understand there's great need there, but that's not why I came. I've come to preach the gospel. What good is it if I just save their physical bodies for 30, 40 years, but their soul is eternally damned? My one thing is to preach the kingdom of God. Jesus does this naturally. He understands that there are urgent things and there are important things. Right now, you have urgent things all over your life. Some of you haven't even heard a word I've said because there are so many urgent things. Papers, deadlines, family stuff, tuition, urgent things. And here's here's the wisdom of Scripture. Make sure you figure out the important things. Make sure you figure out the important things. Because before you know it, one year's over, two years over, three years over, four years over, don't give your life away to just the urgent things. Be Jesus. Give your life away to the important things. Learn to prioritize. Learn to cut. You see, impact is not an, a- is not an accident. When you find two people at the top of the hill, they didn't fall there. You have to understand that all, all people live, but few people live with purpose. Many people accumulate things, but few people accomplish things. So what do you have to do? You have to figure out your one thing. What has God called you to do? You've got to be in the business about building character, to making sure your public life and your private life have an equal sign between the two of them. And, and then you've got to learn to say no to some of those urgent things, so that you stay on the important things. And when you do that, then as Jethro says, you go the distance, you endure. You have a long obedience, a long faithfulness. You're like Jesus. You accomplish much in three years. Leonardo da Vinci carried a notebook with him wherever he went. I don't know if it was a moleskin or what it was. But Leonardo da Vinci carried a notebook with him, and he wrote in it constantly. It's estimated that da Vinci left after he died on May 2nd, 1519. They estimated that he left 14,000 pages of notes from his life. Nearly 7,000 pages still exist today of Leonardo da Vinci's notes. What's interesting is they're of great value and to give you an idea of how valuable they are, in 1994, Bill Gates purchased 18 of those pages for $30.8 million. You know, what's interesting is not that he just kept a journal, not that There's 7,000 pages left, and not that he had 14,000 pages in total. What I find very interesting about his journal is he wrote in what's called mirror writing, meaning this, he wrote everything backwards so you have to read it with a mirror. Who writes backwards? Leonardo da Vinci does. He wrote 14,000 pages backwards. And what I find interesting, again, is not 14,000 pages, but frankly, not the fact that he even wrote with mere writing, though that's crazy interesting. What I find extremely interesting is what he wrote on the final day of his life. On the final day of his life, his last entry into his journal is when he apologized to God and said, I am so sorry for I am leaving so much undone. 60 years. And his final words were, I'm leaving so much undone. Jesus left us a journal. John wrote it down for him. And at the end of Jesus' last breath, he had one entry. And it read this way. It is, what's the word? Finished. Why? Because Jesus understood why he came, his calling. He understood that character is everything. And he was able to say no to some of the urgent things, to give his life away to the important things. And at the end of his life, There was no apologies. It was simply, it is finished. Let's pray. Father, I pray in all of this rambling that there would be a um, conviction of the heart In each of our lives, to be men and women who understand why we're here. Remind us afresh, Lord, that time is our life. When we waste time, we waste our life. Help us to hone in on why you've placed us here. Father, form in us great character. Help us to be about the business of making sure our lives are congruent with what we say and what we do. Father, I pray for each of us in this room that we would have the wisdom and discernment this week to say no to some things. Lord, not the important things. Those have to get done. But help us to say no to some of the urgent things. Lord, I suspect there's not a person in this room that wants to write an apology at the end of their life. but Father, we we long to hear the words well done. So give us the grace to live this out. We pray this in the precious, holy, beautiful name of Jesus Christ.